TV Campfire Podcast. I was like, yep, okay, so you win for the week. <laughs> We're here. I hate to sound like a broken road. Oh, no! We're fans. It's one of the best things on television. Oh! All right, we got you a hold of Oh, no, you didn't. We talk TV. That was the best scene ever. Like, that I, blew me away. It was absolutely amazing. I just couldn't believe it. Welcome to the show. This is podcast number 576, and I'm Libby, your host, and this week we have returning guests. This is Tom. I chair the communication department at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. Hi, this is Allison, and I write reviews for Six Degrees of Geek. Hi, this is Yusun, a costume designer and TV enthusiast from Los Angeles. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Let's start off with the news. Tom, what do you have? ABC has announced that Sam Page, formerly of the bold type, will join Grey's Anatomy in a recurring role. Amazon has finally stepped up and ordered Cruel Intentions to series, and that project has been circling the drain for years, including a version which would have had Sarah Michelle Gellar coming back. Uh, Amazon also bought rights to the BBC series Wild Isles, narrated by 95-year-old David Attenborough. They think this might be his last narration gig. Uh, Dr. Death creator Patrick McManus is teaming with Anderson Cooper to adapt Cooper's book, Vanderbilt, The Rise and Fall of American Dynasty. Uh, Apple TV Plus has picked up the big door prize for season two and has announced that Phil Dunster from Ted Lasso is joining Surface season two as Quinn, the older brother of Eliza, played by Millie Brady. BBC has announced that Drag Race winner Jinx Monsoon is being added to the cast of Doctor Who. Uh, Disney Plus, big Star Wars dump because of celebration over in London. Ahsoka has cast Lars Mikkelsen as Grand Admiral Thrawn. Obi-Wan Season 2 is probably not going to happen, according to Kathleen Kennedy. And Jude Law introduced the young cast of Skeleton Crew. And I don't know any of these kids, so, you know, Ravi Cabot Conyers, Kiriana Cratter, and Robert Timothy Smith. So it was created and executive produced by director John Watts, who... uh, and screenwriter Chris Ford, who worked on the Marvel Sony co-production of Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Fox has officially canceled The Resident after six seasons. Uh, They have also greenlit a single-cam sitcom starring Kim Jong, based on Dan Harris' popular book and podcast 10% Happier, and Acapulco writer-producers Michael Lisby and Nate Rieger are going to be adapting that. HBO is hot for a Game of Thrones prequel, another one, about Egon the First Targaryen. That is the one they should have done in the first place. Yeah. Aegon the Conqueror is a good story. And when they said they were doing a prequel, I assumed that was the story. I will watch that one because it involves dragons blowing up castles. And it's all (laughs) over Westeros. And it's not all sitting around King's Landing twiddling your thumbs. He's actually going out and conquering stuff. Tell us what you really think, Libya. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, HBO Max has announced the It prequel series has cast Taylor Page, Jovan Adipo, Chris Chalk, and James Remar. And they are circling a deal to adapt J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter books, which has sparked tons of fan controversy. Well, I Is mean, it too soon to readapt these? Not about the too soon. The problem I have is J.K. Rowling is talking about she wants to be an executive producer on the show, and I was like, oh no, that's keep a terrible her far idea. Far away from the right. That's a t- I was about to say, keep her. If 
I would watch the show as long as she's not involved. Well, uh, I don't know because she's still going to be making money off. I it, know, but know. there's a difference. But that, but that's all. The property's already done. She's there's no way around that. But she's if she's a screenwriter, yeah. But if she is actually in the day to day of making the show, I I have a problem. I, I don't know. Just the fact that I know that she's making money off the thing existing is enough reason for me not to watch it. Anyway, uh, who continue. Knew? Hulu has added three new original documentaries, Freak Nick, The Wildest Party Never Told, Queen Maker, The Making of an It Girl, and The Jewel Thief. Imagine Entertainment, uh, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer's company, has brokered a content deal with Major League Baseball for scripted and unscripted content. First up, a doc feature directed by R.J. Cutler about this year's World Series. Netflix has canceled Sex Life after two seasons. Ugh, I couldn't That show that. was terrible. Did you, did you see Sarah Sahi's interview? I know. It's like, girl, did you watch your own show? It's nasty and bad. Well, no, no. Her her thing was she was just talking about how bad it was to work on the show. Well, she was talking, she say yes. She said season one was fine, that she had support and stuff, and then she said season two was horrible. Horrible so, how? She just said that no one at the network, no one on the show supported her, and I got the feeling she meant, like, during some of those sex scenes and stuff, yeah. that she didn't have people looking out for her and over her shoulder. Right. And she felt very neglected in the second Don't season. Don't they have like intimacy court? They're supposed to be. They're supposed to, but that's also the executive producers are the one, you know, she just, the way she made it sound, she made it sound like a very unpleasant second season. That's so yeah. she did not sound like she was upset that the show I got thought canceled. the pilot was unpleasant enough to stop watching afterwards. Um, <laughs> Netflix she got a new show though. She got a new show. She, she's, she's good. Well, she's good. Yes. She was one of the best things about Black Adam. Uh, Netflix is also reteaming with Lily Hammer co-creators Anne Bjornstad and Eilif Skodfkin on a Norwegian drama about fish farming. Uh, Peacock has, has announced that Bloomhouse's adaptation of Five Nights at Freddy's will open in theaters and stream on Peacock simultaneously in October. And finally, Showtime has canceled Z-Way after two seasons. I didn't even know it was on. I, I don't even know what yeah. that is. All right. Is that it? That's yeah. it. All right, let's start off with the shows. First up, we're going to talk Rabbit Hole, and this is episode three. And I'm going to start with Tom so he can eat his words. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not eating my words. I just, I watched, you know, when you have, um, oh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Charles Dance shows up at the end of episode two as Kiefer Sutherland's supposedly dead father. Things took an interesting twist, and episode yes. three was all about you know, the back and forth between the two of them and then Haley, the hostage Haley, <laughs> who we found out is definitely up to something. She's up to uh, something because she, she got her phone. I, I couldn't quite tell what she did with her phone because she, she had no SIM card. Purchasing, some kind of stock purchase. Yeah. yeah, but it was like she had no SIM in her phone, so she couldn't actually send anything out. But she got some information in, well, and so that changed a, her whole without thing. Without a SIM, you can't make a phone call. But if you if you're on a, if you're on somebody else's uh, wireless network, that's true. Because yeah, because it was just like she saw some information, and whatever information she saw, she was like, "Oh no, I don't need to be related as a hostage. I'm totally cool with staying <laughs> as your hostage." And I was like, "What? What's happening here?" Like that's when I was like, "All right, we can't trust her." So she's up to something. No, but I think whether if she is I, the, the part that I noticed is that it was crypto. 
is, yes. and she's she's watching that. So I don't know whether that's she's actually invested in crypto and she's concerned with that, uh, or whether it's like someone communicating via how the crypto goes up or down. Something is happening because yeah. her attitude completely changed when she saw yeah. that information. And I was like, okay, now we can't trust you. She was the one character that I thought was on the up and up. And oh, now, no, 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 not, no, no, no. Not, not so You've much. Seen it. How many seasons of 24 did you watch, Libby? Come on. <laughs> Give yourself some credit. You know, but I, I thought Charles Dance added A class, B, some really interesting energy. Because I've been oh, a fan yeah. of this for decades. But no, I, I, I'm in, and I love that they are kind of deconstructed. I saw the fight scene where, where Kiefer gets his butt kicked. <laughs> That's so <laughs> the funny, kid right? with the skateboard. Yes. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> all of that was fantastic but charles dance is all he's all i the great thing was when he has that conversation with her by the apple tree where he's like i'm just gonna ask you one question he goes oh wait i'm gonna ask you another question oh wait what's that in your hand which was actually, <laughs> which was actually the entire question like that was the question in the first place because he obviously saw she had something in her hand and uh i love that he's like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna make you feel at ease by asking you this this softball question, but it's really important because I can tell if you're lying. So that there was was phenomenal. That's what you talk about acting right there. That was so Except that, you know he's so cagey he doesn't look on the ground to see that she dropped it. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> what? Really? Uh, she, yeah, I, I felt like he or he did know that she dropped it and he's gonna circle back and get it. You know, oh. those are the two things. Maybe he also, feels too smart to me. I, I would hope that happens, actually. His description to uh, to John about what he would do to take over country, scary. Because <laughs> yeah. it sounds like he's done it before. You know, like that's a, that. Been there, done that. Yeah, that sounds like something he's done a couple of times. So yeah, his father is super scary. <laughs> um, Though I, what I find hilarious is the casting choice because the guy that they have play his father when he's younger looks nothing like Charles Dance. Actually, I was like, why did you guys do that? That's so weird. When they show how he pulled off the uh, the switch and escaped, I thought that the, the the younger guy did kind of suggest he could grow into Charles Dance. I don't. He has black hair and brown eyes, and Charles Dance has red hair and not brown eyes. I don't know well, what color gray his hair eyes. And... <laughs> Yeah, but it was gray with a hint of red. And I was just like, mm, I'm yeah, not sure I buy Charles this. Dance in his earlier days, he's got like blonde red hair. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, these guys don't look anything alike. Like, I just thought that was an odd choice to have the younger version of him look nothing like him. I mean, they could have just used hair dye. It would have, because, you know, structurally his face isn't unlike his. I thought that's right. Think, was, but, but yeah, you know, put on a wig or dye his hair or something. Something. So. Yeah. I was like, guys, that was that was like a weird drop of the ball. But anyway, regardless of that, the episode was really good. Uh, and adding Charles Dance absolutely added to the level of quality. I, I was really happy. I don't remember. How did this? Because they always end on a cliffhanger. What was a cliffhanger? Does anybody remember? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Because <laughs> every episode it ends, you're like, "What?" The oh, what? oh, oh, oh! The FBI, uh, the, the FBI lady goes to the building, and another guy takes the uh, <laughs> takes the oh, right. easy way down. <laughs> oh, yeah. he kills him! Right, right, right! 
Because uh, and the guy's the like, other... how do you know? It's like, just a hunch <laughs> as the blood yeah. spattered corpse is nearby. <laughs> because this is the second CEO that has jumped out of that window. And I feel, I'm like, I don't want to be the boss of this company. Because apparently if you make a mistake, the way you have to jump out a window. Like, that's, down. That's like, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, that was a cliffhanger. That was good. There's no All right. parachute for him. <laughs> <laughs> so thumbs up rabbit holes great third episode next up let's talk succession and when i say let's that's you guys go ahead you got like six minutes go for it you start allison okay well i this i this was such a good episode there were so many lines in this that were were so quotable and and amazing just starting with the whole bit at the beginning when logan is is walking through the newsroom, you know, and he's, he's just terrorizing everyone there. Just he's he's just walking through with the sunglasses on, and Greg is giving this this play-by-play to Tom. You know, it's he's got his sunglasses on. He's like Santa Claus if he was a hitman. You know? <laughs> My favorite though was it would it, it's like Jaws if everyone in Jaws worked for jaws <laughs> that didn't line. make any sense <laughs> it in context actually my, my, my favorite quote is from when the sibs are trying to do trying to complicate throw a monkey wrench into dad's plans and he confront he he confronts them and sucks up to them a bit and apologizes and they're like trying to what are you what are you sorry for dad and then finally he just like insults them and says you you know Basically, you're not says, serious people. You're, you are not serious people, and takes off. And then Connor, of all people, you know, big brother doofus Connor says, "I had to write it down. The good thing about having a family that doesn't love you is you learn to live without it. You're all chasing after dad, saying, "Oh, love me, please love me. I need love. I need attention. You're needy love sponges, and I'm a plant <laughs> that goes on rocks and lives off in, lives off insects that die inside of me." It's the first time. Wow, that's so dark. It is so dark, but it's so accurate. He is the forgotten Roy. He's the forgotten child. And basically from the first wife, and then there's three with the second wife, and they're the ones that the series focuses on. And Connor, for the most part, has been portrayed as unserious. But this is the first time it really shows that he is totally self-aware after his fiance seems to be getting ready to leave him at the altar or before the altar. (laughs) Um. But, but yeah, no, that was, was a that was a great scene because the, we don't take even the audience we're we're made to not take Connor seriously. He's he comes off ridiculous most of the time. The whole thing in the last episode when he was trying to to turn his wedding into basically just a photo op for his for his presidential run, which is absolutely doomed and ridiculous. He's he's, he's at one percent. He's polling at one percent. Um, it's it's just you know all of that is so silly but then he suddenly turns around and he just gives a speech like this where you realize yeah he knows exactly who he is and where he is and where he stands in his family and it's sad you know it's as horrible as these people are that's what the show does is it gives you these moments where you're able to still look at them as human beings yeah i really I'm interested. Oh, and <laughs> the uncomfortable conversation Greg had with Logan's girlfriend slash, uh, I guess, like, man, what is her position? Office manager? 
I <laughs> a personal assistant? I have no idea. Anyway, I mean, she she's has basically this, sleeping with him. That's basically that, he that's has this horrible joke. audition tape to be an anchor, and everybody knows it's terrible. And it's fun to see Tom backpedal fairly quickly for Tom and tell Logan that she, you know, she has raw talent, but it's it needs more seasoning and more time. And then they make Greg be the hatchet man to her. <laughs> And everyone is making fun of of her her audition tape, which is which is terrible. It's god awful. It's it's awful, and no one has the guts to tell Logan. They just the the just this, well, this whining, mincing, you know, anything to not tell him the but, truth, which is that she's terrible. But um, to give Tom credit, he actually, after initially kind of sucking up, he initially does slowly backpedal and saying, you know, she's got something, but it's not ready yet. <laughs> It's, it's, he backpedals as much as he can. Yeah, but for Tom, considering how he starts the series as complete sycophant, yeah, well, no he's still not that far above it, I don't think. But anyway, it was it was an awesome episode. It was it, uh, just that so much is going on, and the whole thing with the kids who and you could see the deal in in the process of falling apart with with Gojo. Um, and they're, and, they're, almost, uh, they're undermining Al themselves. And Alexander Skarsgård has basically told them, or told somebody, don't screw this up, because I will yeah, he, walk. Ta he told Kendall on the phone, Kendall. he called him specifically, and said, do not, do not ask for more money, don't play games, because I'll walk. And Kendall turns around, and he's like, he's, he's just got to be always, you're not the boss of me. And he turns around and tells his, his siblings, yeah, let's ask for more money. So you can see exactly where this is going. Okay, one last question. Is Roman Cordelia, if you're going to use the King Lear metaphor, he's the youngest? Um, yeah, he's he's too snotty to be Cordelia. But I mean, I but don't know. But the others are so terrible. Sort of, I know the others are so terrible. But he's, he's, just, he's just as terrible. It's just that he's more scared of his father. And more he's needy, at least funny. More needy. Yes, he definitely is. All right, let's wrap this one up. So I guess you guys are saying thumbs up? Oh, yeah. Oh, way up. So far up. All Great right, show. next up, we're, we're going to talk Superman and Lois. And we haven't talked about it pretty much all season since it premiered. Since well, no, we, talk, we talked about... Beginning. Yeah, we did talk about the fact that Lois has cancer, right? I think we did. We didn't get that far yet. Oh, maybe we didn't. Oh, oops. We didn't. Anyway, so what I really liked about this episode is that, well, last week's episode, what I liked was they dealt with something really real, which is she finds out she has cancer. They're like, okay, we're going to do chemo. And that episode was really about her struggle with dealing with it. So she spends almost the entire episode avoiding chemo. So mm -hmm. she's literally ducking out of her chemo sessions. And she's like, oh, I forgot. Oh, or she literally leaves before it starts to start. And, and they're like, what the heck is going on with you? You know, like her whole family's worried. Everybody's terrified. And they're like, what are you doing? And when she finally actually voices what's going on, it makes absolute sense. She's like, once I start chemo, not only have I admitted it's true, but now I'm actually destroying my body and what have I become and what is this? And it's all unknown and it's terrifying. And she finally, you know, says, you know, how terrifying it is. And I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was a really good performance. And then this week's episode, she started chemo and now everybody's treating her like she's glass. Uh -huh. And which is what she was afraid was going to happen. 
Um, and she has to go off on all the people that she wish she didn't, you know, and tell them like, look, that doesn't define who I am. You got to start, you, you guys can't do this. And it was really good. And I couldn't believe that, that, uh, the trailer park dude punched, uh, oh. Jonathan. And I was like, first of all, you, you're an adult. You stole his truck. Then you punched him in the face. And he's a minor. I was like, and he's a minor. And I was like, how? And then when Lois comes over to talk to him about it, he pulls a gun on her. I was like, dude. <laughs> I love I love that, however, when Clark confronts him and basically tells him what's what without having to, you know, literally well, pull a punch or, or. He does not throw a single punch. But I like the fact that when the guy, like, comes at him hard and hits him, Clark just stands there and lets him hit him. And, like, yeah, dude, what? Does not move. Like, nobody blinked at the fact that gravity or whatever didn't work on him. That was just, I was like, ah, it's a little, playing it a little fast and loose, Clark. Probably but, think he's, uh, he's drunk and weak. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but, yeah, the confrontation was good. And I liked how he didn't want to have it in front of the guy's daughter. He was like, look, let's take this outside so we're not doing this in front of your daughter. And the guy's like, I don't care. We can do whatever we want. Uh, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, the confrontation that confrontation was great. Uh, I, however, have zero sympathy for the other family. Oh, for um, Lana's family? Lana's family, because the daughter was so out of line. Let's, let's skip that. Let's get to the irons. Let's get to the, <laughs> let's get to the irons versus manhood. The only thing I'm going to say is that daughter should have got slapped. I had zero sympathy. She should have yeah, been slapped. Yeah, but these days, you know, people call DCFS on you and whatnot. Yeah, my parents would have slapped me if I had said some stuff like it's that. It's a different world, trust me. Anyway, go go ahead. Manheim. He's uh, no, a great just, villain. You know, the reveal that Charles Coleman is playing Bruno Manheim. And the thing I love about him as an actor is if he's a good guy, he's your best friend, and he will move Earth to help you. He is sincere. A bad guy, you believe him. Oh, right. my gosh. And, and and him facing off with the other, you know, with our John Henry Irons from the other Earth, because there's like no love lost between the two. It's like, you know, your counterpart was under my thumb. So yeah, it was kind of mad at you. And it's like they didn't waste any time like. Rear. So Yeah, it was good. It was 100 miles an hour. That was pretty good. And I, I, I like the idea uh, of them going at it, though. I also like that Superman was like, look, do you want me to deal with this dude? And Irons is like, no, 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 I got it. And I was like, I'm going to handle this guy. Because, I mean, Mannheim is just a dude. He's like Lex Luthor. He doesn't have any superpowers, but as far as I know. Got, he's got access to apocalyptic technology, so. Correct. At least but, in the comics and other incarnations. Yeah. And they make him really smart. You know, well, they that's make the thing him is, he's smart and scary, uh, one of one of one of my one of my academy classmates was like, "How is it that all the black bad guys, um, Black Lightning and and Luke Cage and now Superman and Lois, always say I'm the hero in my world?" <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's but I mean, I know, but he also had a point where he was like, "Superman portray, uh, you know, patrols everywhere, saves the world." He's like, "How come you never came to my neighborhood?" And I was like, "Very good point." What's really uh, interesting is. You know, if they were doing the canon DC Comics version, that's the neighborhood that Black Lightning is supposed to live in, comics-wise. The part, oh, okay. basically, the black part of Metropolis, 
because that's what black black lightning and superman did not hit it off in the comics originally back in the 70s but I can, no i, I can just, understand I, why i just say what i said i can understand why but i really like uh Ch chad it's good to have a villain who's a threat and he has presence he has he has and a lot of presence has like you tons of presence and yeah it's like yeah it's i really like how they've been using the irons family because they're in the you know they're from a, they're in their in their reality lois was the wife slash mom and both father and daughter know that our lois isn't their lois but there is still a connection and it's right. interesting but and then the grandfather is still technically genetically her grandfather and he was such a jerk to her on that episode a couple. Yeah, but he's ago. He, he's he's repented of it and he apologized. Yeah. So. yeah, but no, but it's but it's interesting that you have basically these two family units that are united genetically, <laughs> and also <laughs> both part of the, you know the Superman family. So yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's cool. I like it so far. All right, let's wrap that up. We're saying thumbs up. Oh yeah. All right, next up we're gonna talk Schmigadoon. And oh. Schmigadoon is uh, we first two episodes, and instead of them going back to Schmigadoon, they go to Chicago, and they're doing like '70s era, '80s era musicals, and I think they did Hair, they did a bunch of other ones, Pippin. but yeah, Pippin. and they got Chicago, yeah, now, obviously Chicago, yeah, yep, Cabaret, Cabaret, yeah. And you've got your omniscient narrator that they added, which was hilarious. They're like, aren't you omniscient? He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, and um, Sweet Charity and Chorus Line, they also referenced. I did not really like the first episode as a whole, but I did like the opening. I did like that opening number when they first got to Chicago. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I liked it. But then after that, I was like, mm, I didn't like anything else of the first episode. But then once you get to the second episode, I thought it worked better. Like once they're like, you have the murder, he gets, he goes to jail and how jail is and all that stuff was pretty good. And then she joins the chorus line, which is hilarious. So I would say the second episode is significantly better than the first. That's just my opinion. All right. Any other, who else? Want, uh, Houston, you haven't talked yet. Go ahead. Um. Yeah. I, you know, the problem with shows like Schmigadoon, uh, because they're so uh, gimmick heavy, is that you've just got to wonder if the second season is going to be as good because they've kind of blown the surprise kind of gimmick aspect of it. And it was so charming and, you know, so unexpected. So I have to say that, like with you, I was a little suspect with the first episode. Um I thought it was very like uh, not explanation heavy, but very much like, oh, is this just going to be a whole bunch of like homages to the, you know, to the musical numbers? Like, are we not going to get a lot of plot? Are we are the, you know, the actual characters not going to be involved, you know, in the routines and, you know, the performances? So I really, you know, I really was kind of very much like, oh, I guess it's not going to be a good season. Um that being said, uh, I think we'll probably all agree. We'll wait to hear what every you know what Allison and Tom have to say. But um, by the second season, I second episode, sorry, I definitely thought it picked up. Um, I still don't love. Here's the thing: 
I think they made a conscious choice to go dark. I mean, maybe they're just running through, uh, you know, um, uh, year wise, you know, uh, you know, we, we did the, you know, 50, 60, now we're going to do the 70, 80, you know, that kind of a thing. However, it, it works out conveniently because it is the antithesis, you know, of the rainbow colored, you know, feel good songs. And so this is dark and heavy and noirish and uh, minus the hair. Um, so, so that is like a nice contrast, but I still don't love it. It lacks the charm and, and just because the material is dark and it's shot, you know, kind of differently and all of that, I don't know. I just, it's just, I don't find it as charming, but I think that once now that the, like you said, the murder has happened and I have to shout out to um, the chorus line, which is a really famous scene from chorus line where they kind of all hold up their resumes, their headshots. Um, <laughs> and she digs out and I was her really driver's license. Her second. driver's <laughs> license, And when she was digging in through her bra, I thought, what is she going to pull out? Like it was, it was great. Cause I really was like, wait, did she have a headshot? What's happening here? And then she pulls out her driver's license and I thought, oh, there's the show I'm looking for. So I need uh, more of that kind of stuff. And I think that um, that scene in, in, in the prison cell, you know, where um, I forgot his name, but the. Topher? The, Topher. Yes, yes, yes. You know, he kept interrupting and, uh, you know, and he was like, it's, you know, it's not about you, Topher. It's not about you. Um, so those are kind of like the, that, the beats and the kind of funniness that I'm really looking for. I didn't get enough of that, but you know, it's two season, two episodes in. So I'm kind of hoping it, it kind of, you know, gives me more of that. And honestly, I don't need as many dance numbers, to be honest. I, I feel like they, they're leaning in cause it was so popular first season. They're like, oh, let's just give him more. Like, we'll just give, that's all we'll give him. And I'm like, mm, I'd like a more, I'd like I, more, witty I, I more story. Yeah, I like a little story. more story more witty banter that kind of thing but sure I'm, I mean I'm along for the ride and I'm just happy that it's back but you know it's definitely not didn't burst out of the gates for me Allison your thoughts um well I loved it from the start I think part of the the thing that that uh the show really kind of depends on I mean maybe not hinges utterly but I think a lot of the humor uh hinges on how much you know about musicals and specifically musicals of this era and so because so much of it is just you know a satire of not just oh the the general genre which first season really was more a generalized thing okay these are the happy little musicals of the the 40s and 50s but they they very specifically lampoon specific characters and scenes and songs and themes from from various shows like the whole opening was pippin you know the opening of pippin and um the when you know we talk about the the bit from chorus line and earlier than that there was the the scene from sweet charity which was you know their their riff on um uh I'm blanking on the name of the song, um, but the the big um, number from the club, and you know the the like all of it is is just specific songs. The bit with Topher, he's like a weird compilation between the lead from Pippin and Hair and Godspell, and his his number that he kept trying to sing over and over again was like their variation on Pippin's Corner of the Sky. So when you know all of these little things, and it's like it's like you're you know you know what to laugh at because you're familiar with the material because I'm really familiar with the material. It was just more fun for me to watch. And I think that they are going dark because the, the period uh, of the seventies did have 
much darker musicals, and also musicals that depended less on story and more on on dance numbers. A lot of them, you know, were done by Fosse. They were, or they were structurally put together for just, you know, putting one scene after the other, one musical tableau after the other. And so they're kind of leaning in that direction for that reason. And if you, you know, so if you're not familiar with that, then I think you'd be kind of lost and like i don't know what they're doing here well that's but, unfortunately that's where i'm at so yeah well that's the thing i mean i it's if you do if you do it for a, a click audience you know it's like oh this is great for people who are really super familiar with it so that's great for me and i can see where it's not great for for people who are less familiar with with the musical genre and this particular era um which yeah, because I like musicals, right but I, but I guess I just don't like these particular musicals. You don't like seventies so. musicals. Uh, yeah, I was like, I, I actually, like a lot of musicals. I just I don't like. I, I love seventies musicals, um, I'm, and, I'm and I'm very familiar with seventies musicals. So I mean, I don't I, know that that's specific, specific. But I think I think that that's what they're going for is is not just the. Um, the, well, the general I, I, overall I, I, themes, but the right. The I, I feel like yeah. the, I agree, then they've they've missed the general audience though too. So that's kind of a problem. Yeah, I I'm gonna tag in on the Lydia's comment. I'm familiar with the source material. I just I don't think the songs are great compared yes, to season one yeah. song. And to wit, there was a there was a, a an episode of documentary now. That was a complete send up of Stephen Sondheim's company called Co-op. I saw that. And the great. songs were fantastic. And you knew exactly what they were doing. This one, it, it just seems kind of scattershot and unfocused. And I'm like, yes. I don't know. I I really want to like it, but I'm not digging it so far. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, mediocre-ish. So I'd say 50%. I didn't really like the first episode, but I did like the second. I thought the second was entertaining. All right, let's move on. Uh, next up, let's talk about Shadow and Bone, episodes five and six. And uh, the big deal here is now that, what is it, Bagra, which is the mom, she's escaped and she's working with, they're like in hiding in caves and everybody's all jacked up. And so the the royal family is is not in exactly in power they're more refugees trying to take back power now from kurgan and the big and and it's a big deal that the connection between her uh starkoff and kurgan they're communicating and have a connection and so in theory he could basically spy on them through her nobody brought that up i thought that was odd that nobody brought that up like, hey, so he can see everything you can see, then we, how can we have you be the leader of the second army, you know? So nobody brought that up as a, as a problem, which I thought was fairly an obvious one. But uh, by the end of it, though, they do end up cutting <laughs> that connection. And uh, the big reveal is that the third amplifier that they've been looking for for the last couple episodes or for the, since the whole season really started is actually mal he is the firebrand which means in theory she I has agree. to kill him and take his bones and fuse them into her body which oh my god super gross um but also super tragic 
and I was like, I was like, the only thing I thought, which makes me, a, I guess, that a bad person, is like, oh, he's finally useful. So, because uh, I, I am not a fan of Mal, but I can see the tragic nature of the whole thing. And I know it's going to be one of those things where she can't do it till the end of the season because it's, I mean, it's hard. Like, legit, that is, a, even if it was somebody she didn't know, it would still be. It's taking human like, life. Just, well, yeah, just killing a person in general and then fusing their bones into your body is just horrific. Yeah. Just well, that I was, alone. I was, hoping, I was hoping that they were going to go with the whole, like, oh, guess what? We just need sexy times. That works out better. Like, you know, like, no, not, not, but that doesn't, I don't think that's how that works. No, I know. Because the amplifier is bone. It's always bone. I was bone. Hoping, I was, I was joking, but what, you know, okay. when sexy times came and I was like, oh, I was like, this would be great if it pivoted this way. Um, I, I will say this. I have no idea what you guys have been saying all season uh, for one reason or another. Like, I, I mean, I missed a podcast or something, something. So I haven't been in on what you guys have been saying or whether or not you like the show, the season, whatever. Um, so I will say this. Um, I started out, I think the first episode, I don't know. It's been a while, right? Cause we have like six episodes in. Um, I, I was less impressed, but I think mostly because I had forgotten like a hundred percent forgotten most of the story. I yeah. Like, what? Right. You know? And so, so I don't know that I can blame it on that episode necessarily, but it did actually take me a little bit of time to kind of get into it. Um, and I think you may have mentioned off podcast, the episodes are long and they're dense. So it is, it's a little hard to binge. It's, you know, it's a lot, yeah, you know, absolutely. Even though it's very bingeable, like I think, you know, there's a lot of action and, you know, and there's a lot of great characters you're rooting for and there's, it's heavy on plot. So it's very bingeable, but, but kind of not. So, um, but I kind of sort of had to. And um, one of the things that I was impressed with was, yeah, like it is very, um, paced really well, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm really invested in the characters. And so I will stick to five and six. It really came to a crescendo for me. I loved it. And I thought there were so many things to love about it. I thought that the mom, you know, episode, the arc, you know, with her kind of sacrificing herself and I knew, she oh was yeah. And I knew it, you know, like, in fact, I thought that I was like, who like cut off his hand. Like, you know, cause he has that thing. So when she was hugging him and the whole thing, I was like, oh, she's going for the hand. So even though it was- I have to say, I was surprised. I thought, cause she said, I'm going to sacrifice myself to kill him. So right. I thought, you know, when she tries to kill him and it doesn't work and he ends up killing her, I was like, right. oh, it didn't work. But then I was like, oh, she meant to do oh, that the no. whole time. When, okay. when they were in that yeah. close hug and, you know, and she was like, I was like, oh, she's going for the hand. I thought she was going to like whip out a knife or something. But why would I thought she was going to kill? I thought she was going to kill him. I didn't think she was just going to cut his hand off. Well, no, I but think I, I think what I did still like is her last words was like, stupid boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she was great. She committed the character committed was committed to, you know, her saltiness. And, and you know, there was no. Uh, there was no compromise in that. And so she was very likable. And 
the love between Mal and I kind of love the triangle quadrangle. I don't know how many men love her now, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm more in favor of the Prince. Honestly, well, yes, I no, like the Prince. That's where I was going is, you know, it's a little trophy with the whole like forced marriage trope, you know what I mean? But then it turns out that they genuinely like each other. And every time he said, Oh, I love when you quote me, you know what I mean? I was like, I yeah, yeah. you, you know, and, <laughs> so I was like, that's so cute. So, um, yeah, so, but the last thing I want to say, because there's plenty to say, two quick things. One is um, Kerrigan, right, our, our baddie, he's yeah. a little bit, he's turned a little bit into a mustache twirler, so he, he lacks sort of that complexity that I loved so much in the first season, um, so there's that. But that's... Well, to be fair, in the first season, he was trying to pretend to be a good guy. Yes, no, and I know. And now he's but... like, screw it. No, no, the, only towards the very end. But he was still like, I want her by my side and, and you'll be my my beloved and blah, blah, blah. It's only in the in the very last episode, he's like, screw it. I'm taking you and I'm I'm killing everyone you love and, you know, whatever. But yeah. The last thing... Well, he's angry. He's pouty, yeah, angry he's villain a, right now. He's angry. So, but the last thing I want to say, because it made me cry. And you guys know that I'm not a big watch TV and crier. Um, that scene with the, um, I don't know what her character is, but she was the Asian one being all Asian. And she, first of all, her fight scenes were great. Um, oh, when they were trying to break into her house. Yes. And, and, and it was like she was fighting all of them. All she of fought them. like 10 of them. It was, it was amazing. I was and like, how is she so powerful? Like the whole fight, I was like, how is she so powerful? And then when they explained it, I was like, Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I thought the same thing. I thought, well, this is unrealistic. I mean, okay, it's a fantasy show, but even within, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but even in the world that they live in, I thought, nah, this seems a bit much. Um, but all of that, you guys can talk about. What I want to talk about was how moving her monologue was about the uh, being a four hundred year old. I mean, we've heard it. We've heard the immortal speech of I, 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 I live to watch all my loved ones die. But the the talking about the two you know, the two worlds becoming, I don't know, I'm misquoting this horribly, um, about being, becoming one universe, you know, and uh, how she just will, you know, she, to love and to hurt and all, I mean, all of it and the, her delivery, it was really moving, at least for me it was. And I thought she sold it and it brought the whole scene to a, to a quiet moment. What, what, what I thought was crazy about that scene is after she gives all this wisdom and it was moving and amazing yeah, yeah. at the very end, our hero characters learned nothing. I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? She just gave this amazing speech and, and your answer to that is hope is death or help is some, I was like, Oh my God, people. Well, they're still anyway, on the journey. Yeah. They're still on. The, anyway, I, I love the show. I just, you know, I'll just end by saying that six episodes of, of me not being able to input it into the show, I feel like for me it's reached its apex, and I'm really, really enjoying the show. And I thought episode six was great. Uh, Allison, um, well, you guys have pretty much covered everything, so I don't know <laughs> what I can add. Uh, you liked it? Didn't like it? I did like it. I, I, I've already seen the whole thing. <laughs> so, oh. you know, um, the details kind of, I'm like, you're talking about it and it's like, oh yeah, that did happen in that episode. <laughs> um, so I, I will tell you this. I was tempted to keep going when I got to the end of six. And I was too. like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to pull me an Allison too. and then not remember what's happening. So I stopped myself. So, but yes, very, very good. All right, let's move on then. Uh, next up, we're going to talk Ted Lasso and Allison, why don't you start off with this episode? What do you, what do you want to say? 
Um, well, you know, we were talking last week that that we were sure the whole thing with Zava was was going to end with a crash. I wasn't expecting it to happen quite so soon. This, and and not um, even his fault though. Not his the fault. Crash no, wasn't his was, fault. He was just kind of standing there, going like, "What are we doing?" <laughs> uh, which it's you know, I I was like, I was with Zava for once. It's like, yeah, well, it was so funny. He was like, they fought with passion. No, it was great. He's like, they fought with passion. You know. Like a fruit. <laughs> yeah, I almost missed that line. I almost or like, missed it. Or like making love. Oh, it was so funny. He looks so lost. He looks so he's totally quitting the team now because yeah. these they are not his vibe. Like he's super zen guy and all that rage, I think he didn't know what to do with. Well, obviously um, they didn't either because I mean all of it just came pouring out in in just craziness um and right. i they you know they were trying to get them riled up enough to really fight fight do a yeah. great job and and all of that and instead they just went berserk on the field <laughs> well, uh, i mean that's not how that's not how ted trained them it's yeah. not about getting them riled up it's about being smart and fight and playing with your heart yeah. and by trying about to change the, the of... energy yeah changing the energy they didn't know what to do with that so, yeah, I, I think that was, yeah, that was totally a bad call, guys. Yeah. Like, what I did what? like about the episode also was, you know, they, they are obviously on the road to trying to redeem Nick. Um, and, and it was so funny watching when they were in the, in the, in the elevator. And oh, the he, elevator was standing, he was standing with his face into <laughs> the corner. at the corner. The best thing ever. <laughs> I was like, is he in timeout? What's happening? I didn't notice him at first because they dressed him in gray and I, he really wasn't part <laughs> of the elevator. The elevator. <laughs> it was I, the that was hilarious. I mean, he's like, because the, there's part of him that wants so badly to, to, to make things right with Ted. And um, I mean, the, just the, the way they juxtaposed Ted's little Lego set where he's, he put the two of them together and Nick, you know, doing his, Nate. his, Nate, excuse me, Nate. Nick yeah. uh, is Yeah, uh, that's thank you. Um, Nate uh, putting together his his little map um, with the little figurines, and you know, at first he he's like all ha 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 when Ted's falls off the table, and then he feels bad about it and puts it back, you know, and gets near him in his proper place, and and so you you just you feel sorry for him because. It's like he's he's gotten what he wanted on the one hand, where he's respected by people and they think he's wonderful and they call him the Wonder Kid and he's making all this money. And on the other hand, he's he's isolated from everyone he cared about. And so it's he's he's still in this place of of not being happy and not fe feeling. And fulfilled. I think he's because I think he, he made a deal with Rupert, who is the devil. Exactly. I was about to say, he, I think he knows on a fundamental level that Rupert is not a good person. No. Yeah. And, when, and... He, when he pushed that um, that model at him and Nate was all like really awkward and weird, I thought that was hilarious. Because yeah, he's still he... trying to get the, 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 the host at the restaurant back in um, town to remember who he is. Oh my God, that was amazing. Because oh, she's still amazing. totally unimpressed. <laughs> Not impressed that she knows who he is and she she remembers him being a jerk. Yep. And so she's not impressed by any of this. And he wants so badly for her to like him. And it just all the things that he's done does not matter to her at all. At all. And he's just like, wow, okay. Let, let's he was talk trying about so hard. 
Yeah, I like that about her because she's just like, you're good at football. So you're still a crap person is pretty much her attitude. And I loved it. Um, let's, and let's that's talk about thing. Sassy and Ted's hookup. Oh, right. She told him he was a mess. Oh, right. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Mess, no, way more of a mess. What's interesting is I'm glad they didn't just go through that whole arc last season and like Ted's completely fixed because yeah. He, yeah. he finds out that the therapist is now, you know, dating slash so doing his crazy. Wife. That is and so cool. I'm so glad crazy. that he has enough self-respect to call her and, and tell her Basically, it's I have not cool. Well, that's his yeah, arc. Cool. I mean, that's what we're watching in this third season is him like moving towards not just getting last season was about him, you know, admitting it and getting into therapy. This season is actually him making progress, having results. You know what I mean? I think and, and you know, and we're doing the same with Rebecca, like most of the characters, uh, you know, this this, you know, the season is the series is coming to a close. And I think we all want some sort of closure for all of them, you know, uh, you know, some sort of. Uh, watching us, you know, have them have that growth, you know, and so we're moving towards that. So yeah, I thought that was great. My only sad thing is we haven't really spoken about because the show hasn't really done anything with them is Keely and um, uh, what's his name? Roy. Roy. I mean, all we could talk about was how amazing and funny and this and that the first two seasons, and they have truly been sidelined and so not happy about. Not real. No, they're it's not side. They broke up. And right. so now they have to figure out yes. if like, they need to be back together. Yes, they have course. spent time on. No, yeah. but I, I think they've spent time on that. They've no, spent time. I mean, no, I know their interactions with each other and their like funny repartee and the. You know, well, because they've part. broken up. <laughs> I know, but there's there's still ways to do that. I have had absolutely a very. You could absolutely mine. It's a gold mine of awkward interactions with your exes and running. Well, they they have had a couple. Like I liked when he came. She's phased by the fact that he was zoned in on something else and he walked by her without noticing her and she was pretty upset about that. Yeah, but none of it's and funny. they <laughs> I, I didn't say I'm it saying. was funny, but I mean I, I feel like it's a true breakup. Funny. That's what I, I'm I, saying is. I, I just okay. it's my opinion that I just think that it's sad for me because I think that they could have figured out a way to make it funnier and it's just sad to me. Like I don't I don't want to Well, I well, I do want them back together. By yes, the end of the I season, I'd like them back together. I think yes. I think it's interesting having basically showing her struggling to be in a position of power and being really over her in over her head. That's great. Yeah. Yes. And, absolutely. Uh, true. I like the way they're doing that. And kind of uh, our new fun couple is Roy and Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> getting up at four o'clock in the morning. He's like, yeah, I said we're getting up at four o'clock in the morning. He's like, well, I didn't think you actually meant four o'clock in the morning. And he was like, <laughs> Why would I not have meant it if I said it? <laughs> that was so great. And the headlamp uh, thing. The headlamp. Yeah, and he's like, how are we going to run at 4 o'clock in the morning? And he's like, headlamp. Yeah, all of that's that's pretty good. Because I would have never believed the two of them would have been, like, not, I wouldn't say they're besties. But no. I wouldn't have believed that they would be up at 4 o'clock in the morning hanging out and training in their own free time together. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, any other comments before we move on? All right, uh, next up, we're going to talk beef. And that is, uh, Allison, you're the only one who has seen this show. I'm kind of interested, but kind of not, because I love Steven Yeun, but the subject matter looks irritating to me. So wh what was it? Um, well, it, it, it is kind of irritating and good at the same time. Um, I, I'm 
really I'm the only one who's watched it so far. Yeah, I, just I, give us a quick, just give us a quick feel. Yeah, well, Netflix, you know, kept showing it on on my screen, and then I I saw that it, it was like incredibly highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes, so I figured I'd give it a shot, you know, because I do love Stephen Yun. Um, and uh, the whole crux of the story is that um, Stephen Yun and Ali Wong play these two characters who are going through enormously stressful parts of their lives separately. They don't know each other in the least, but they have this encounter in the parking lot of like a home goods store where they, they almost um, ram into each other and their reaction is this insane road rage thing where they're, you know, Stephen Yun is chasing her and she's flipping him off and she's throwing things at his car and he's running over people's uh, gardens for, you know, to get to her. And it just, it goes crazy and they lose track of each other, but he gets her license plate. So he stalks her and it's in process of doing that. She finds out who he is. And now the rest of the, the show is the two of them doing this tit for tat gradually escalating you know war um this Hatfield and McCoy fight between the two of them uh and on the one hand it's hilarious and the two of them are great and you feel sorry for for both of them because they do have real stress going on in their lives and frankly they're taking it out on each other when they should be in therapy for for things that are going on in their own personal lives that are driving them this way so it's it's the show is is really terrific in terms of the the story and the humor and and the craziness that goes on between the two of them and the 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 depth that they go into with their characters and their lives but it's also super frustrating at the same time because you're thinking, God, you you people just need therapy. <laughs> you know, you should stop <laughs> doing this and have therapy because they're angry at the at the other people who are in their lives who are causing them stress. Stephen Yun has um, a cousin who is a criminal and whose dealings ended up uh, with his parents losing control of a motel that they were running, and they're now stuck back in Korea. And he's trying to make enough money to bring them back out again and, and get them a house. And in the meantime, he's dealing also with a brother who's a lazy good for nothing and does nothing but play video games. And imagine he's going to be a, a crypto billionaire one day, just out of fantasy. And she's married to um, a uh, this, this pseudo artist who's all into this new agey speak and really kind of lives off of her like a parasite because he can't, nobody buys anything that he makes. And his attitude toward her is so condescending and misogynistic and horrible. But instead of addressing the actual problems in their lives, they're going at each other. And you can see that they're really enjoying going at each other because this is the only way they can take out their rage. So I'm... I recommend it. I think it's I think it's worth tuning in for, but it does have that frustration level where you just want to shake the two characters and say, "Get a grip!" <laughs> All right, um, let's move on. Uh, next up, let's talk Star Trek Picard. And I can already tell Tom is chomping at the bit. So, Tom, why don't you go first? <laughs> what do you think of this episode? I thought it was it's called Surrender. Surrender. This is this is. Uh... This is the first time since Star Trek X that we have had the seven principal characters 
in one physical space. So yay! Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that conference when they all started sitting around the conference, I was like, oh wait, this is everybody. I did yay! have that moment. We got, we, we got the band back together. <laughs> um, so we bid adieu to Cray Cray Lady. <laughs> She did go because at first when when her body got ejected, I was like, she's a changeling. That doesn't kill her being in space. And I was like, oh, man, are they going to have her go back to her ship? And then she crashed into the side of the ship. And I was like, OK, cool. Nope, she's not coming back. All right. Um, but I, I, the only thing I call slight foul on is that we still don't know what the deal is with Jack. I was going like, to say, I have. Here's my theory. OK, because- go ahead. Picard because I already gave my theory like two episodes ago, but go ahead. Oh, is is it the same theory? Pica- Pica- because Picard was deborgified by by Bev, whatever she did to him, whatever Borg stuff, organic residue was left behind, got passed on to Jack. And here's my guess. I have no inside information. I think the Borg Queen's behind the red door. That's well. It's a voice. It's a female voice. I I didn't theorize what was behind the red door, even though someone said it's Elijah, and I was like, "Oh, that's nice." What for all the people from the originals? (laughs) From the originals, I was like, "Oh, that's pretty good." (laughs) But uh, Passover. (laughs) I um I said the same theory two episodes ago about the Borg being you know Borg something that it's a Borg thing. Um, obviously because he's taking over people and they're acting in unison like the Borg. So uh, I feel like that's correct. But it was like the end of last week's episode. They're like, I'll tell you what it is. And then we get to this episode and she doesn't. And I was like, come on, guys. But everything else was so good. Their plan was great. I love the time with uh, Riker and Troy Troy. when they were captured. Their conversation was fantastic. It was really just like, oh my God, that's what happened. That's why you guys broke up. Like all of that was really good. Well, they didn't break up. More, well, they just well had not to, break. Yeah, they had a better falling out. Stress in wanna, their marriage. Whatever yeah. you want to call it. But the thing is, I love that Worf coming in and started quoting. <laughs> oh my God, oh, that God dude. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. Worf don't care. Worf's got no boundaries. <laughs> Did we not remember that about him? I know, and now it's going in the opposite direction with all the sweetness and the... (laughs) Oh, he's like, I've counted the days since I last saw you. I was like, dude, her husband's standing right there. Like, what are you doing? I love love Riker's inappropriate. (laughs) That was so good. I laughed so hard. I'm I'm glad they didn't just gloss over the, the the Riker's shared backstory because having having friends who've gone through this losing a child the st- statistically if you lose a child your your marriage has like 75 plus percent chance of failing yeah just, right. it puts so much stress and i'm i'm just glad they didn't they didn't gloss over it plus they said exactly what happened because he was trying right. to do a thing and she pushed him to do a thing and he knew and it was really I mean, considering we haven't seen the two of them together in a lot of screen time in the past 20-some years, I thought they did a very economical way of saying, you know, we've seen them before. 
they've had some issues, but the fact that they're living on a planet that they hate and they're still there <laughs> because they thought they were there for the other one. I liked all that. I thought it was I I thought it was a bit of a transitional episode because we really wanted to know what's up with Jack. And obviously they're like, we'll tell you next week, suckers. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but yeah, it was it was really good. And they finally I I figured out how Data Data was going to defeat Lore. Yeah. Yeah. Way early. It was yeah. it was honestly it was, was pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah. Obvious. They were I was like, oh, I'm giving you all of my memories. Here you go. And I was like, oh, if you give him all your memories, he becomes you. I but, see what you're doing there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was poetic, but just a little too on the nose. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, right, in, right. In, the, in the spirit. You know what I mean? Like, but I was like, nah, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> I was like, well, Also, lore sucks. So as long as we're done with lore. Yeah. Getting, yes, the end result is we're getting rid of lore. Yay. Yeah, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Memories, memories, memories. Great, 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 great. Goodbye, disintegrate. So, I mean, <laughs> but... But and forgive me if I'm wrong, but like, haven't hasn't he absorbed or haven't they become one? Like at least yeah, they have times. You know what I mean? And I thought, really, this is how you're gonna get rid of lore. I mean, they can't figure out a new way to have the two of them separate. So I guess they can't figure out a way to like you know put you know the 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 way to resolve it is to unify them. So none of that was interesting. Um, but I have. But to at least we're done with it. That's yeah, all I'm saying. Yeah, that's fine too. And then, but then him kind of coming to the rescue as Data because now he he becomes in as the what is it the Deus Ex Machina, you know, kind of coming in and and doing all the things that only Data can do, and then solve all the problems. I was like, that's boring. So um, <laughs> yeah, they, they they haven't figured out, and and there's no time anymore. It's too late to figure out how to make data useful in any way for a long time, you know, his whole, what is it, what is it, what is it to be human, you know, and to love a cat or to love something makes you human. Like none of, you know, that was, I don't know, so 20 years ago, so 20 years ago. Um, but I just, I will, I really do want to parrot or just reemphasize what uh, Tom said about Riker and Deanna. I've never been that interested in their relationship. It's kind of sort of just been, um, uh, lip service, you know, like, yeah, they're together. Um, but to deal with something as heavy as that uh, on a sci-fi show in the middle of like they're being held in a prison, you know, in a, in a prison cell and, and this kind of comes out. And I think Tom used the word economical and I thought, wow, mm -hmm. they just smushed in, you know, 20 years worth of dialogue and plot and meaning like meaning, meaningful to me. Like the relationship wasn't rem remotely meaningful to me and I really didn't care about it. Then all of a sudden it went from zero to 60 and I was really invested in what they had to say to each other and really happy about what they ended up saying to each other. So I thought that was a great aside moment. You know, sometimes when you have scenes like that in the middle of a sci-fi show, you're sort of like, well, okay, but now you've brought everything to a grounding halt. Um, and it's a little jarring and possibly even boring, but it wasn't, you know what I mean? They mm -hmm. are main it characters. was good. Yeah, it was yeah. really yeah. good. I have, I have to echo that, you know, this is the only time that I've really ever cared about them as, as a couple. Exactly. Um, and they've never, and they've never really registered. They've always, you know, been this, this little romantic thing going I will on say that, the that only never felt real. I I will only say there's only one episode, other episode that I've cared about them, and that was the one with the other Riker. With Thomas name? Riker. Thomas oh, Riker. Yeah. When they had Thomas Riker, it broke my heart. That was, I was that like, was oh my God. <laughs> like, that broke my heart. But other than that, you were correct. This is the for other. Yeah, time. it's just this, this is the first time that their relationship really felt like a genuine old marriage. 
like the, you know, they were actually a, a couple who've been together for decades and and were having a real honest discussion with each other so uh, that's the only t this this is really the only time i've personally felt invested in anything and th that had to do with them at all so i thought it was very well done yep agreed all right let's move on i think we're saying overall thumbs up other than the data thing but oh, yeah. other than that Absolutely. thumbs up yeah all right Sad next to see up, the back of amanda Plummer, but you know i mean she's the bad guy she was going to go some kind of way yeah. so that was, that was a good death she got disintegrated in space and, and apparently we have another bad guy in the wings Shaw yet i hope they keep him alive <laughs> Seriously. All right, next up, we're going to talk The Mandalorian. And this episode was the episode of every single uh, cameo that you can think of, of every <laughs> sci-fi actor and non-sci-fi actor who ever wanted to be on Star Wars. I mean, Lizzo? Lizzo, in, I, I know, Lizzo? I was like, I don't understand why there's a Lizzo. Well, maybe she's a big Star Wars fan. We don't know. She has to be. She could have she be. been like, she could have been like, look, I don't care. Just get me in Star Wars. Yeah. And yeah, they were like, okay, here you go. The whole time. That's, she probably that's what this ran, whole episode felt like. She probably actually. ran into the showrunner at a Hollywood party and was like, <laughs> that I was a huge, you are? We can put you in the, really? Okay, here we go. I'm yeah, that, that's pretty much. We thrown in some acting lessons. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know, that was pretty sad. <laughs> Jack Black was fine. I, though I do right. think, I think that he actually is probably evil. Um, oh, yeah. because there's, uh, the, the Mandalorian mercenary army has been going out pirating and they've been doing stuff that's been bad. They've been killed. They, they got, um, the bad guy, they, they got him free. They found, cause remember when they did the investigation, they found that Mandalorian armor was involved oh, in killing Moff all Gideon's. this Moff Gideon oh, escape. Yeah, so, that was good. so that guy jack black probably without her knowledge right. is having the mandalorians go off and do stuff for the empire Ooh, that's and perfect. and so i was like and oh jack black you mean the first order <laughs> yes i mean the first order that is what i mean so i like that they're doing that double setup and then though the only thing is oh god doc brown what is his name christopher christopher uh, lloyd christopher yeah. lloyd god ron chris what you know what i was talking about so only thing is because he's so much older now, his performance felt weird. But sure, I like seeing him. I yeah, just didn't buy him no, as I, I whatever he like was supposed to be. Injury. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah. who is he supposed to be? He's evil, yeah. but he's hitting a red button. Okay, sure. Yeah. Like that felt a little, yeah, that felt a little false. Yeah, uh, I was like, oh, but... you can take his hip in a minute. I was like, he's not, you know, <laughs> dump him. Yeah, all, all of that was just a little odd. But I did like that, that we went into droid politics and whether they're sentient or oh, not or what are their rights. That bar scene I was thought, great. Yeah, I thought that bar, they were like, no, we would never do anything like that because we know they could come in and deactivate all of us. Yeah. So we want to help you solve yeah. this. And I was like. That was, I was like, wow. That was great. Yeah, that was a little, that, yeah. That, yeah, but social politics and science and that whole, what it is. Yeah, I, that was probably that. the best, other than the very end, which was fantastic. I really liked the very end. But in the middle, because I was like, why are we distracted with this robot thing? And then when we did it, I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Like, I actually did like that part of the story. But the main thing that we need to talk about, it, I'm not going to do it. One of you guys can talk about it, which is the very end with uh, Bo-Katan when she, does the challenge oh well you know no. I felt... go, go ahead no allison allison go ahead allison 
Um, I'm going to say I I di I did not care for this episode at all, and and it just felt like they had about five minutes of story, and they dragged it out with celebrities being trotted out, and the thing with the robots, and anything that they could think about it at at all, just to fill the time, so we could get like this much story at the very end that moved the plot along well because i mean in theory when they got to the planet they should have immediately gone exactly and had that confrontation but instead we got sidelined by all this other stuff and i, I don't disagree is, all of it should have been about this we should have just concentrated on that part of the story and you know i i get that there's celebrities who want to be on the show and so this is their <laughs> way of fitting them in there um but it, you know, if there was if there was a way of, of integrating it so that it, it actually moved the story along all overall, that would have been fine. But we had just so much nonsense going on with, you know, try, trying to, to act like detectives and find out why well, the I mean, robots I, were going I know, but I just want you to and, talk about the end so that and, we can get to the and end. And all of that, I'm, I'm just saying, it was, it was a lot for very little return. When we finally got okay. to the end, that part was great. When Bo-Katan, you know, says, okay, I'm going to challenge you for this, and, and she beats the hell out of him. And, and, that was fun. That was control. fun. All of that was great. And then the, the tag at the end um when we find out about the ship um and all of that that was that was that was all terrific stuff but it was it was like it almost felt like an afterthought even though that is what we should be concentrating on i'm not disagreeing with I'm, you i'm but gonna go ahead Tom. In. here's my problem with this season and we're three quarters through somebody needs to give john favreau a book about television writing is if you've got eight episodes and you have arc stories, what you do is you seed your arc stories throughout the eight episodes. You don't just do a whole data dump in episode three or whatever it was. And then it's, it's poorly structured as a drama series. And yeah. yes, we know each episode has a, you know, episode, whatever the, what, you know, the humdinger, but spread your arc stories out. So the plot lines are integrated organically. Otherwise, it feels like you're doing all this weird, stupid one-off stuff and then cramming in your arc plots into one episode. And I think it's a total cop-out that Din Djarin just gives her saying, well, she saved me from the beast, which beat me, therefore... Well, no, I actually, I have to say, when that happened back in episode two, I thought she should have gotten the dark say. I had that they thought. They should have done it then instead of waiting, you know, how many ever episodes later. I just thought that was, that felt like deus ex machina. Because, you know... You're... No, it didn't for me because I really did at that moment when he got his butt kicked and then she came in and killed. She Because I saw how easily she used... Because we've seen how hard it is for him to use that Darksaber. Oh, yeah. And then when she picked it up, she used it like she was cutting through butter. I was like, oh, my God, that's that's for her. She should have this sword. And, and then I was like, well, why would she give it back to him? Because he lost it. He got defeated and he totally lost it. So I was like, she should keep it. And I was surprised that she gave it back to him. Um, so I did like at the end, because he's never wanted to leave all, lead all the Mandalorians. No. That has never been his agenda. So the fact that he was like, you know what? This happened, and this is the thing, so that's okay, right? And everybody's like, yeah, all right, that checks out. <laughs> so I was totally okay with that. Yeah. I was okay with that. I, I thought it was a bit of a cop-out. I mean, 
if it had been the next opus, but that was like what episode three, and this is episode six. Uh, I mean, I don't that's know. three I, episodes apart. I, I, I'm I'm not a fan of season three. Sorry, I just I'm not enjoying it. The celebrity cameos are distracting. That's I would say in this episode they were a bit annoying. There was too many. That was a th- I was like pick one, pick one celebrity and have a cameo, and I would have been okay. And a cameo means they kind of walk through the scene and say hi, and then they're gone. Uh, I don't need them. And Jack Black is not a cameo celebrity. Jack Black's a genuine actor. So he was fine. I didn't have a problem with Jack Black being in there. Well, it same was with Christopher the, Lloyd. It was, you know, true. Lizzo can get like one line, say hi, and leave. She had too much. She had too many lines. She did, but you know, the thing is they gave her enough to say that you could tell the limits of her ability in acting, mm-hmm. right. which was unfortunate. And and I thought Christopher Lloyd, if you're going to have Christopher Lloyd, he was miscast. That was not the role for him. Yeah, he was very miscast. Yeah. So, you know, they they, I don't think it gave a lot of thought to his character at all, because, you know, when they when they condemn him to go to some moon uh, to at the very end, you know, okay, well, yeah, you're going to be going here. And they cared so little about his character that when they have a shot from above, they just show him walking away by himself. They don't have him led away by armed guards or anything. No, like they had that. the no, no, no. You missed it. They had the the droids. There were droid. There were police droids surrounded. There was four of them that surrounded him when he walked away. Because I I didn't see that. It just looked like yeah, he was I did. walking off on his own. No, no, no. There were four police droids surrounding. Okay, him. well, I'll I'll. It just looked sloppy somehow. I don't know. Uh. Anyway, but. I, I mean, I, I did feel like when they got to the planet, they should have immediately gone to see the Mandalorians. And this other thing was a distraction, which is what Mandalor- uh, the Mandalorian does a lot. And it's my least favorite thing that they do on this show. Side quest. So I know. The, I was like, oh, God, we're going. On, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, God, we're going on a side quest. But, I'm, but what I'm happy about is at least they finish the quest or finish what they were doing by the end of the episode that they actually did. Cause I was like, please don't make us wait till next week to actually get to the Mandalorians. So at least we did that. So I gave them a couple points for that, but I get your point. You know, you know the thing right. is, even when you have a side quest, it's usually so you can collect something important to, to the overall, you know, quest. Well, I mean, and, I still, I like really the robots where this is. Concerned. I like the robot story. I did like the ethics that they brought up. I thought I, that was, interesting. I like the, the, the idea of the, the politics and, you know, are they sentient? Are they not? I, which I wish they'd make up their minds about, but I, you know, that is interesting on its own, but I don't think it worked in this episode because it just felt like, you know, why are we doing this instead of that? I'm not disagreeing because it seemed like last week I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're on this move. We're moving here. And then we got side quests. And, and it didn't feel like it advanced the, the total story on its own. So it's if, if you're going to do something like that, find a way to tie it in. So many but times throughout I'm the not, season, they've, they've It's not just this things. season. This is that sh- this show has. Well, they were better about that. it. They were they were terrible in the first season. It was very episodic. Season the second two, I think, season, I think they hit their stride. They did. They and they and they did a better job. They still did this kind of thing, but it wasn't as egregious as as it's coming off this season. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. I thought the episode was not as terrible as you guys did. Uh, I still enjoyed it. I was annoyed, but I there we too. go. All right. All right. I give uh, it a 
<laughs> if you guys have any questions or comments, you can leave them at tvcampfire at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, and this is on 6 degrees of heat, sci-fi.radio, and iTunes. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.